we'll welcome Mosaic. Um, I invite you guys to stand and worship with us as one. Open up. 
Well, hey, good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. Um, my name is Ashley Covert. I'm our communications coordinator here. And I will do some communicating, but if you could indulge me a moment of being sentimental. Uh, a year ago today, I was making the drive from North Carolina back to Northwest Arkansas, which means that next Monday makes one year of being on staff full-time. And I just want to say that I am immensely grateful to be here. Um, I knew that coming to work for Mosaic would be really fun, and we have a lot of fun. We're a really fun church, and we have a really fun staff. Um, but this year has been probably one of the most joy-filled, sanctifying, clarifying, encouraging lives, um, like years of my life that I've ever had. And so just wanted to say that I'm grateful to worship and grow and gather alongside you all. So thank you for the emotions. Um, now we will jump into, oh, unnecessary. Uh, now we will jump into some announcements. Um, so First things first, we are hopefully all aware of the partnership that we have with uh, Samaritan Church in Rogers and in Springdale. Uh, along with that, we have opportunities to serve them. So the Samaritan Community Centers are in need of some volunteers. So volunteering can look like uh, an individual, uh, a family, a community group. But what volunteers are going to help the shop do is sort clothes, organize things out on the sales floor, um, all of the sales that they make go directly to, into their feeding programs. Um, and so this is just a, an excellent way we can come along and support and serve the Samaritan Community Centers. So that's one. Next thing is FSM Mosaic Student Ministries. Uh, it's a mouthful. But we are going to be having our uh, fall retreat in uh, a couple of weeks. So the end of August, registration for that, however, is going to close in about two weeks. So if you have a student in student ministry, 6th through 12th grade, this is kind of the kickoff for the fall semester. It's going to give them an opportunity to dig in and grow deeper with the kids in their cell group, along with their leaders and the staff that we've got here. So registration for that is currently on the news page. Um, you can follow that QR code or head there to fill that out. Uh, it's going to be at New Life Ranch. Next thing, I'm really excited to talk about Grief Share. This is one of the most incredible ministries that we have at Fellowship Mosaic, Fellowship in general. Um, if you've never had to take part in Grief Share, I'm grateful for that. But I also recognize that at some point we all probably will or should. Um, so in a second, we're going to play a video that kind of digs into Grief Share a little bit more. Um, but this is a ministry through our Counseling and Care Center, and it's led, facilitated by our lay leaders, so you guys. Um, but it's essentially going to be a 13-week walk alongside you if you are experiencing grief for the loss of a loved one. So we're going to play a video, and then these guys will bring us back into worship. But here you go. I was fortunate to serve in law enforcement for many years. And through that experience, I saw a lot of death. I saw a lot of heartache. As I consider what life could have been like without grief share, and I think my family would be quick to recognize that I became calloused. As I began to process the death of my best friend who was also in law enforcement, and the death of my brother who died unexpectedly because of COVID, and then a coach who was a mentor, and then lastly, mama. There was a part of my heart that didn't want to receive help. And what a blessing to have a counselor that said, would you consider what it's like to potentially go to grief share? I was the man that was on the map. Those that were in class with me, they were the ones that were on the map. And we arrived, but those that were caring were our leaders, the, the food angels, those that had gone through the class before us and who were burdened 
that they had a heart to want to give back. But as I sat at the end of 13 weeks, I realized that the Lord allowed me to be carried by a group of people that loved God and wanted to give back to others. And now it's my turn to finish my own journey of grief so that one day I hope I can carry someone else. So I searched out Grief Share because I have recently lost my husband and I felt like I needed something more to direct me in a right direction. Grief Share is an opportunity to not only learn from the Lord, from other people, but to meet and feel that love from those people that I did not know other people could love you that you don't know. Um, so I, I felt a lot of love and a lot of prayer coming from those people that help you each day. And I can honestly say going through Grief Share for the first time, I actually felt a prayer lift anxiety from my shoulders. One evening going in, I said a prayer that I learned in Grief Share to ask me to make a step forward. And I went to bed that night my anxiety was gone and I felt it and I wanted to shout it from the rooftops how well and amazing that it felt that I felt that prayer lift that anxiety from me and so if it gives one person that one moment I think it's worth it. Church, uh, what a beautiful ministry uh, that we get the privilege to have uh, be part of what's going on here and um, again, if, you, if you've experienced any sort of grief or in your life, uh, please come find one of our, our staff and we'll get you connected. It's very, very powerful to connect with people in that kind of setting. Hey, we're gonna continue in our worship tonight, but I wanted to introduce someone on our stage. I say introduce lightly. This lady down here is Laura Self. She's been here for a, a while. Um, yeah, she's awesome. So, and the rest of the people on this stage are Laura's children, <laughs> except me. Uh, so I just wanted to, to in, A, introduce her. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. So uh, we, we've had an, a blast this afternoon getting to rehearse and have fun. So they, they, said, they made me an honorary self tonight. So I'm uh, proud to be a part of that. Um, but one, one thing just to, to fill you in on that's going on within our own worship team is Laura has, is moving into a, a role on the adult worship team uh, where she's going to help shepherd our, our women. And um, it's just something I'm very excited for. So I just wanted to, to make that known and make sure that you guys know who Laura is. Um, and just wanted to let you know, I'm, I'm excited to be an honorary self tonight as we continue in our worship. Um, would you stand with us as Jenny leads us to Jesus? See 
sing together, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, and rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. Would you say this with me? We give freely and not under compulsion. For all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. This is a new song that we sang last week as well fixing our eyes on Jesus. So take the time to learn it. We'll sing it together. Who are 
universe before there was light Walked across the ages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him He who heard humanity's cry Left His throne to wake as a child
sing this chorus one more time together. Sing Jesus. just as we sang. We want to behold you tonight. So Spirit, we ask that you speak to our hearts and to our minds and that you would give us the ears to hear what you have for us from your word, Father. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy as we get the privilege to worship you together, Father. We pray these things in your name. Well, thank you, Kyle and the Von Traps. <laughs> it's great to have you all leading us tonight. I love that song, don't y'all? That is a great song. And thank you, Lord, for the rain. Yes. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, applaud the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Whoever did the rain dance, thank you. I just want you to listen to this story from John chapter 20. Jesus on that day is risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene knows. This is what we read. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, if they could kill Jesus, they could surely kill them. So the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, the Hebrew equivalent, equivalent of shalom. Be in a state of peace. Shalom. Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. When you're overjoyed, you want to tell somebody, right? Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, still locked, a week later, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, I want you to imagine the look. As Jesus' eyes met Thomas' eyes, just for that silent moment, 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And all God's people said, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, our focus today is simply this, which we will read later. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The shortest distance between two points is what? See, Ashley didn't know. She didn't say it down here. Oh, you said it. You were just quiet. You just said it. Okay, there you go. It's a straight line. The quickest uh, way to get from A to B is a straight line, right? And most of the time in Scripture, we tend to overthink. We make things overcomplicated. But it's often the most simple answer that gets us to the point where we need to be. But all too often we allow inner reasoning, ignorance. And I don't mean that as not being able to process things. I mean ignorance in the way that we ignore the truth or worldly coercion to cloud biblical truth, which never changes. A few years ago, I rode a Harley. It was black and it was chrome and it was shiny in the sunshine. I'm telling you, I loved riding that Harley. And I also loved shining it up, keeping it clean, you know, so that when you pulled it out, man, it just, it really looked good. But it, it was a lot of fun to ride. And so I kept it clean, but it was never as clean as Dudley Gideon's. Some of you know Dudley, don't you? Dudley was a fireman, and his Harley was fire engine red. And it was like, it never had bugs on it. It never had grime on it. His Harley was pristine. And I wanted my Harley to look like Dudley's Harley. And so I went and bought all these solvents and expensive cleaners and polishes. And I would work and work and work and get down in the wheels, you know, and, and just shine up every spot. But still, it wasn't as clean as, as Dudley's. Didn't shine like Dudley's. And so one day I just got tired of it and I asked Dudley, I said, Dudley, what do you use on your motorcycle to keep it so clean? Dudley said, water. <laughs> water. Those of you who know Dudley, you can just hear him saying that. Sometimes the most straightforward answer is the best answer. Take creation, for example. What do you believe about creation? Uh, what are you? Uh, evolution? Uh, do, do you believe in theistic evolution? Do you believe in progressive creationism? Do you believe in special creation? Are you young earth? Are you old earth? We could talk about all those things. But you know what it is for me? It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven, heavens and the earth. That's really all I need. That's really all I need. And God didn't choose to tell me any more than that, did he? 
Now, I have some ideas based on having to work through all that stuff in seminary and all that, but uh, that's really all I need. It's the shortest and the simplest answer. It's not clouded with all these doubts that come into our mind. And so today we talk about Thomas. Why couldn't Thomas just take things at face value? Why did Thomas have to complicate things? He was bound to have been something special. But, you know, here, here we are 2,000 years later. And if I put this on the screen, you fill in the blank. Doubt, yeah, every one of you. Yeah, doubting Thomas. But before we get through too tough on Thomas, let's put your name up there. You fill in the blank on yours. Oh, y'all are quiet now. So quiet. What would it be? Cynical? Sweet? Joyful? I don't know. What would you put in that blank? How would you describe you? Angry? Bitter? During the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, one of the people we remember most is Thomas because he doubted. He did the unthinkable he doubted the words of the apostles even when they confirmed that they had seen Jesus. And he said, I will not believe until I see it for myself. Have you seen that skit where these older folks, like maybe my age, where they're asking Siri a question and Siri will answer their question and they say, I don't know about that. Have you seen that? You have to look that up sometimes. It's, it's, it's really funny. Give it a factual answer. I don't know about that. You know, I was talking to a guy a while back. We were talking about the efficacy of God's grace. How the finished work of Christ on the cross is enough. And, and, and I was explaining to him that even if someone rejects Christ their entire life, if they come to the end of the life and they accept Jesus as their savior, that that's enough. And he said, I don't know about that. And I thought of that skit. And I just wanted to go like this. When are we going to learn that the finished work of Christ on the cross is enough? That there is nothing that we can do to earn or merit salvation. If we had to do something, then how much would be enough? But no, we doubt that. We think we got to do something. And this guy doubted it as well. But the finished work of Christ on the cross is enough. It's not what I can do. It's what he has already done. So was Thomas a dud? Were there times when Jesus said, man, I wish I hadn't picked that Thomas guy. <laughs> he really just is a Debbie Downer, you know. Wish I hadn't chosen that guy. No. John 2 reminds us that Jesus knew what was in a man. And he saw something in Thomas. He saw someone who would speak his mind and stand firm. And that's going to come into play toward the end of his life. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Thomas is mentioned 11 times in the gospel. He's quoted four times. 
So let's, let's look at at least three of those right now. The, the one comes from this, the miracle that you studied just a few weeks ago about Lazarus. And uh, Jesus, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's saying, let's go back to, to Judea. And they said, Rabbi, they tried to kill you there when you were there last time. And you're going back. And, and then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Do you think that's the tone? It would be totally out of character for that to be the tone of Thomas. I think Thomas was saying there, come on guys, let's go. He's going to get us all killed. I think that was Thomas. Look at the next time. John chapter 14, the upper room discourse. And, and Jesus is telling them what is to come. And then at the end of this little discourse, and we'll come back to the scripture a little later, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And here comes Thomas again. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Every time it seems he has to come up with something negative. And then Jesus answered him what I think is one of the most pivotal scriptures of our day. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You tell people today that Jesus is the only way to heaven? You know what they're going to say? Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. People don't believe that. They base their belief on inner reasoning, reasoning ignorance, or coercion by the world. This is all we need. This is the truth. And so we are going to look at those scriptures in a moment. There's one more. Where he said, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So there are things that we doubt in life. And, and I want to just take a few moments to explore things that we doubt. And then we're going to let the scriptures answer those doubting questions. Okay? You let the Bible answer your questions, not the world or not inner reasoning. John 6, 47. Let's look at that one. Salvation. Don't raise your hand, but how many of, ever, of you have doubted your salvation? All of you, all of us have. But when I lead someone to Christ, and I've got a Bible in my office, whenever I lead someone to Christ, I take them to John 6, 47, where he said, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. No ifs, ands, or buts. The one who believes has eternal life. And when I lead someone to Christ, I have them sign my Bible. I want them to sign their name beside that and put a date on it. And I ask them that when they go home, that they do the same in their Bible. Because when doubts come, not if doubts come, but when doubts come, I want them to go back and put their finger on that scripture and that signature. And I want them to remember what they did that day. The one who believes has eternal life. That's all we need. 
What about the Word of God? Is the Word of God really the Word of God, or is it just a bunch of books put together by a bunch of men over a period of time? And we called it the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, many of you will know this passage of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, God-breathed, breathed out by God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's another one in 2 Peter that you may not be as familiar with. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As This is really beautiful. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe in the verbal, plenary interpretation of Scripture here at Fellowship. That is the ultimate authority in all things. It wasn't thrown together by a bunch of men. It was breathed out by God. Remember those scriptures when doubts come. Will God really fulfill his promises? Is what he says in his word true? Well, let me give you a couple of scriptures to hang on to for that. Romans 4. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith. Who is he talking about? Abraham. Abraham, the one who left Ur. God said go and he went, not going, knowing where he was going. And God led him to the promised land. Who went to sacrifice his own son on Mount Moriah. But God made a way. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It's because he believed that God was able. And Titus, Paul said, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, get this, underline it, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God fulfills his promises. Does God really care? You know, there's a, a theory that he was the clockmaker God, that he wound up this world and put it into motion, and then he went off to play with something else and create another universe somewhere else. Does God really care about us? Is he really present with us? First Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Let me tell you something. There is nothing too small or insignificant for you to lift to the, to the throne of God in prayer. 
Because he cares for you. Even the smallest of things. Look at Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You might say, I don't know about that. It's in the book. He knows you. He cares for you intimately. Will he really meet my needs? Matthew 6.33, a verse of scripture that changed my life when I was 19 years old. I'd started out reading the Old Testament, couldn't understand it, so I jumped to the New the old King James Version. And when I got to this verse, this chapter 6 of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, it all came together for me. He was talking about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and how God took care of them. And, and if he took care of them, how much more would he take care of me? And then he said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And there in my dorm room on the third floor of Arkansas Hall, I said, you know what? If I take care of God's business, he says that he'll take care of me. And I set my eyes in that direction. Will he really come back? This is the verse uh, the verses that Thomas was responding to. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house. My father's house has many rooms. I kind of like the King James better. Where it said mansions. You know. But anyway. We stick with rooms. It's, it's with God. And so that's, that's where heaven is. If it were not so. Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. He said he's coming back. You can say I don't know about that. Or you can say come Lord Jesus. I'm saying come Lord Jesus right now. In this world we're living in. Come Lord Jesus. We're ready. Does Satan really exist? Is he some figment of our imagination, the boogeyman in the closet, something we've created to make our children act right? Does he really exist? Well, Jesus said in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I would say so. Jesus said that. And the next one is one that, that the amillennialists really have trouble with because they say Satan is bound right now. First Peter 5, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, if you, if you believe that Satan is just a figment of your imagination or something that, that was created to make us act right, if he's not really real, then you are a target. You've just acknowledged that he doesn't exist and you've given him an open door to exploit your weaknesses. And he will. He'll find the weakness in your wall. And before long, you'll be upside down. 
He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What about Lot's wife? Did she, you know, I just threw this one in. Did she really turn into a pillar of salt? I mean, for crying out loud, did she really? I always doubted that one just a little bit until I ran across this scripture. Luke 17, 32, where Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. So yeah, I think we better pay attention to what it said. It's literal. There are instances of doubt in the scripture. One of my favorites is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, before John was born and he was serving in the temple. Man, this was a great day. This was a great day for him because you had to wait your turn to serve there in the temple. And there he was serving and an angel appeared. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? He's doubting what the angel had just told him. Doubting an angel of God. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Look what Gabriel said. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Zechariah. A man of God, doubting an angel of God. Not good. Not good. I love this story, the story of Peter and Rhoda. Peter had been imprisoned. And, and, and read this whole story sometime in Acts chapter 12 because it's, it's really fun. He, he's there in prison and, and the angel comes and, and the shackles fall off of him and the door opens by itself and he walks out in the street and he, he's just kind of blown away that all of a sudden he's free. And, and it says in verse 12, when this had dawned on him, that he was actually now free. When it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it. She didn't open the door. She forgot to let him in. Here the church was there gathered praying for Peter and he shows up at the door. And what did they say? She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And what did they say? You're out of your mind. They doubt the very thing that they're praying for. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. He must be dead. But Peter kept on knocking. He's still there at the door, knocking, knock, knock, knock. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. The very thing that they've been praying for and lifting before the Lord, they were astonished that God had answered their prayer. Do we ever stop and thank God when something is answered? We, ever, we, we pray for something and then when it's finally answered, do we stop and say, thank you God for answering that prayer? And then John the Baptist. 
Good question for us to ask. Is doubt sin? If you claim to believe in God, but then you have doubts, is that sin? A good example for you is John the Baptist. Matthew 11, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now let me tell you something. John knew. Remember their cousins, Elizabeth, Mary. John leaped in her womb when he heard the news of Jesus. We don't know how much time they spent together growing up, but um, they were less than 60 miles apart at one point. So they bound to know one another. And John was the one who said to, to Andrew and John, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew. He was the forerunner. But you see, he was in prison. And the prisons probably weren't that nice back then. He was imprisoned and he was down. He was depressed. And you can just imagine, listen to those words again, thinking about where John was, how he was being mistreated. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for somebody else? Here I am in prison. I'm not being delivered. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. You see, the blind were being made to see again. The lame were walking again. He said, you remind John of what's going on. Was Jesus frustrated with John? Matthew 11, he said this, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's how Jesus responded to his doubt. There's no one greater than John. And then look what he said. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What did he mean by that? Who's he talking about? You. You. And me, because we are witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something that John didn't get to see. We've been given a gift that John would never be given this side of heaven. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Doubt. Listen to me. Doubt is normal. And it's not an indicator of weak faith. So don't fear. It's conquered by searching the scriptures. When you have doubts, get into the word. Doubt may lead you to greater knowledge and greater discoveries as you get into the word of God. Because that's why you find, where you find your answers. And doubt may renew your fervor and your commitment to Christ. But let me make something clear. When doubt comes, you're going to listen to one of two things. You're going to either listen to the world or to the word. 
You're going to either listen to what the world is saying to you and reason within yourself what you think is right, or you're going to listen to what the Word of God says and count it as truth. If you struggle with doubt, remember the words of the father of the demon-possessed boy. In Mark 9, 20, the, before, the, the boy had been tortured by a demon since childhood, and the demon had made him mute. And there he was. He lay before Jesus. He was foaming at the mouth and convulsing. And the father had to ask for help. But no one, not even the disciples, could help him. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? I love the tenderness of that question. There the boy is. And he says, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And, and Jesus turns his words back on the father. If you can, said Jesus. If I can. The question is, if you can. The issue was not Jesus' ability, but the father's lack of faith. And he said, everything is possible for one who believes. And look at this. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Underline that in your Bible. His faith had been obscured, obscured by doubt. I believe. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. His life would never be the same. Say these words with me. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And here it was. It was Thomas's turn. And when he put his finger. In the nail scarred hand. And when he put his hand. Into the side. Jesus said stop doubting. And believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. That's how we should remember Thomas. Not how he started, but where he finished. My Lord and my God. You see, it's not so much of how you start in this life. It's how you finish. I was just wondering a couple of weeks ago, I knew Thomas had died by the spear in India. And I, wonder, I wondered what part of India it was because I spent some time in India. And I looked it up. It was a place called Mylapore and it was in Chennai. I've been in Chennai. I spent 10 days there working with pastors from all over the country. I took a picture of them one day. 400 pastors from all over the nation of India. And some of them had come from far in the north and some far in the south. Some of them walked two days, rode a bus two days, rode a train two days just to get to this conference that we had for them. I see those faces. One day a man stood up in one of my classes and he said, when we try to worship, 
He said the Hindus gather around and they march around the place where we meet. And when we leave, they beat us. What should we do? I was so thankful to live in a country where we can worship freely. And that's where Thomas died. And there's a memorial to him there today. Toward the end of the 19th century, the Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel woke up, picked up the morning paper, and he read his own obituary. Sort of surprised him to see his name there. And it said this, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way to kill more people in war than ever before, and he died a very rich man. Well, it wasn't Alfred who died. It was his older brother. But the writer of the paper had botched it up and, and got the wrong name there. But it woke Alfred up. He said, that's not what I want to be remembered for. For making dynamite and for creating an efficient way for people to die in war. I want to be remembered for something more than that. And so he created the Nobel Prize. Where the focus is on peace and helping mankind. And he made this statement. Every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. What are you going to be remembered for? That's really the story and the question here. What are you going to be remembered for? The opposite of doubt is trust and confidence, belief and certainty. And God offers you his salvation, full and free. No strings attached. Look how Jesus responded to Thomas' statement, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, believe, don't doubt, believe, you won't regret it. Oh, Father, I pray tonight that we have a new vision of Thomas. And we join him in saying, my Lord and my God, in the midst of our doubts and our uncertainties, in the midst of those times, Lord, when we struggle with things that we don't understand or we can't fully comprehend, like your salvation. Lord, why would you come from the throne of heaven? Why would you give your life for one like me? Why would you offer me this gift freely when I don't deserve it? Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. May we look to the life of Thomas, trust you, and obey you in everything that we do.
church, as we continue on in our time of worship today, I just wanna let you know that we'll have a prayer team available on the sides. We wanna really focus on making this time after our teaching, just a response time um, between you and the Lord. But if you need someone to pray with, um, we just want you to know that we have people available. And if you decide you don't wanna pray with anybody else, would you just take a moment to ask the spirit what he's speaking to you so just take a moment
God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three. that together as a church Lord that we're a church of people Lord full of doubts but Lord we want to believe so help us to believe we love you God and we pray these things in your name amen church thanks for coming tonight uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the people said y'all have a good weekend